Okay, as a reminder, we are covering the chronological life of Jesus. Uh, the, the Gospel according to Luke is the only one of the four Gospels that says that it runs chronologically. So we're using that as our template, and then we are filling in a lot of the details from the other Gospels as we go along. Uh, but we're following along the chronological life of Jesus. And we're going to start reading today in Matthew chapter 3. The reason in Matthew chapter 3 is because we get a little more detail on the baptism of Jesus and the temptations that went on. Although they, they are clearly mentioned in, in Luke, they're expounded upon a little bit more in, in, in Matthew. So in Matthew chapter 3, reading from verse 13, it says, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered, said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting upon him. And behold, a voice came out of heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus himself submitted in baptism to John. Uh, Jesus himself was baptized. I'll say it again. If you've not been baptized, you really ought to be. If you have no place to get baptized, this church can do it. They will just talk to you. Just make sure that you receive the Lord. And if you've not been baptized, you really ought to be. This is something that even Jesus himself submitted himself to. It is a sign of identity. Identity with the body of Christ. Identity, identity with, with, the, with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is something that you ought to go through. Baptism in water. And there was never a sprinkling in the Bible. We never see any indication of any sprinkling in the Bible. It was always by submersion. So it's, it's interesting in that regard. Now, um, what's also interesting, it says that the Spirit of God came upon Jesus like a dove. In, the book, in, in Luke's Gospel, it said, came bodily upon him. Again, in John, it speaks about the bodily dropping of the Spirit. So it wasn't just like this ghostly thing. It was a bodily uh, 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 descendancy of the Spirit in the form of a dove, and the dove speaks very much that was, that, that was related to what the Jews well understood was the Holy Spirit was embodied in the dove. This, this idea that, that in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 where it talks about the Spirit of God brooding over the earth, hovering over the earth, is this word of brooding like a, a, a mother bird does over its eggs before they hatch. And that was given the sign of a dove. And so this coming as the sign of a dove was, was indeed characteristic to the Jewish mindset of the time. And then a voice comes out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Since the finish of the Old Testament, Malachi, for 400 years there had never been large prophecies of the Word of God coming to Israel. But there were these short one-sentence to two-sentence statements that were called bat calls in Hebrew that were these words that would come forth. There's three times in the New Testament where God the Father actually <clears throat> audibly speaks. Speaks, where God the Father audibly speaks. There are three times. This is one case where he audibly speaks. So it's here, he says, this is my beloved Son, in, in Him I am well pleased. This happened again in, in the Mount of Transfiguration, where God said, this is my beloved Son, listen to Him. That was the second time that God speaks in the New Testament, audibly. 
The third time that God speaks in the New Testament is in John chapter 12. And we'll look at more of that, that today. But he says, Jesus said, Father, glorify yourself. And God says, I have both glorified myself and will glorify myself again. Or I have glorified my name and I'll do it again. This is, that was the third time. So there are only three instances where God the Father spoke in the New Testament audibly. And the, this is the first time he does that. So the Spirit descends like a dove. And in John chapter 1, verse 31, John the Baptist says, it was this sign that God the Father had given him by which he would recognize Jesus as the Messiah. That he, the one on whom he saw the Spirit descend like a dove, this was the one who was the Messiah, the King of Israel. It was on that basis that John recognized him as the King of Israel. John recognized him as a holy man because he said, you're coming to me to be baptized? I ought to be baptized by you. But he recognized him as the Messiah, the King of Israel, because he says in, in John 1.31, this was the sign that was given me. The one on whom I am to see the Spirit descend, this is the one. And this is the one that then John made the proclamation that this is the Son of God. So now we're going to move into the temptations that Jesus went through. And so if you read in in Matthew chapter 4, reading from verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And he answered and he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the, if, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels' charge concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him up to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and began to minister to him. So there, it says in chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So this isn't just happenstance that the devil just happened to catch him here. The Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. There are certain trials and temptations that you and I will go through that have been prescribed by God in our lives. And everybody goes through different temptations. So for example, the first temptation upon Jesus is that he turns stones into bread because he had been fasting for 40 days. Jesus had the power to do that. I don't have the power to do that. So to tempt me, for the devil to tempt me to turn stones into bread will do nothing. That to me is not a great temptation. Because I don't have the power to do it anyway. Each of us goes through a different temptation. I'll give you an example. Uh, Abraham, a trial that Abraham was put into is Abraham had to offer up his son Isaac. And Abraham was willing to do that and even stretch out his hand to offer up his son Isaac before uh, 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 before the, the angel interceded. No man has ever gone through this trial before by God, and no man will ever go through it again. We don't have to worry about that. That was a trial specifically for Abraham. There was a rich young ruler that Jesus said to him. He said he wanted to follow Jesus, and Jesus said, Sure, that's fine. Go and sell everything you have, and give it to the poor, and follow me. 
Now, some have said, therefore, we all ought to do that too. We all ought to sell all our belongings. Well, to tell you, it'll do nothing for most people. Jesus never put this as a command upon people. He put it as a, as a requirement for that particular young man. Because he knew that this was a trial that he had to face. And that particular young man failed. It's as he, was, he was a rich man. And he, he never did it. He couldn't do it. But God puts different trials upon different people. And that's why sometimes it's, it's so easy for us to judge other people. Like, oh, how could they have failed in that? How could they have succumbed? Because they don't have the particular, the, the particular uh, 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 attributes that you may have. Each of us has trials that we undergo in life. But you will see how these trials undergo the three fu- fundamentals of, of the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, eyes, and the boastful pride of life. How all of this was put before Jesus in an embodiment in which he which to him was a trial, was to him a temptation. He had the ability to change stones into bread and eat. And it's interesting that the devil comes to him and says, the tempter came and it says, I say to you, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. If you are the Son of God. In other words, he puts this challenge. If you're really the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Jesus answers all three of these temptations with a quote from the Scriptures. He says, it is written, it is written, it is written. His knowledge of the Scriptures allowed him to confront this head-on. In each case, he chose only one book. Every one of Jesus' quotations here is from the book of Deuteronomy. Every one of his quotations here. Now, Deuteronomy is is a compilation of the law that came before the book of Deuteronomy. So you will find in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Numbers, you will find that God had given the law to Israel. And then you will find that recompiled and summarized in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy was this this seconding, or this putting into a covenantal framework, God's laws. And Jesus chooses only from that book, to battle with each one of these things. But he doesn't take it like we might think that he would take it. In other words, the challenge is, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus doesn't say, oh, well, you know, I better do it to prove I'm the Son of God. No. He comes with something far deeper, far more profound. He says, he answered and he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. How is that an answer to the challenge? Because it's so much more profound. He said, yes, there is bread, but man does not live by bread alone, but he shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In fact, if you read in Deuteronomy, the sense in Deuteronomy is that man should live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But here you see this impact where Jesus said, Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, man shall not. This is now a command that he's, a proclamation. There is no way that you can have a sustained life without the word of God in your life. Without the word of God coming into my life, into your life, you cannot live in a sustained life with God. That's what the scriptures say. We must live by the word of God that comes into our life. Just as we do with food, we must also have the word of God coming into our life. 
It is something that we must have. This is something that, that must be done. And you look, look at the way that Jesus is confronting Satan. He doesn't jump up and down. He doesn't bind. He doesn't, you know, proclaim all these. Just very calmly. He says, it is written. And he deals with this. Look, look in uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, you see this, this thought of the Word of God, how important this Word of God is. After 40 years of teaching the children of Israel, Moses comes up with this summation of 40 years of instruction, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 44. Um, we'll, 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 let's pick it up at verse 45, Deuteronomy 32:45. When Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to your heart all the words with which I am warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. For it is not an idle word for you, indeed it is your life. And by this word you will prolong your days in the land, which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. He says, this, he says take to your heart all the words with which I am commanding you today. He said, it is not an idle word for you. Remember, this word, this scripture, this book, might be an idle word for some, but for us as believers, it is not. He said, Moses said, indeed it is your life. This word of God is your life. This is what Jesus said. You live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is not just mere happenstance. This is not just, oh, well, niceties that are being said. Jesus made it clear. He said, man shall not. That is a proclamation. Jesus is proclaiming, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is how man shall live. By every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Without this book in your heart, you will miss out so much in life. You will be without so much of the life that God has prescribed for you to have. Without this book. Without this book in your life, you will be without so much of what God has prescribed for you to have in life. There is so much that you will never capture in your life of understanding or fulfillment or walking as a believer. You will have no substantive difference in your life being a believer without the scriptures in your life. Making this book your meditation. He said to Joshua, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. If this book is your meditation, and I know you're busy, but it doesn't impress me. Really, it doesn't impress me. You are not too busy to pick up the Word of God, and to make this Word of God your daily meditation. I did it when I was in school, and I worked at least as hard as any one of you. I worked really hard in college, in my book work in college. But I had service in the body of Christ, and I had daily meditation on the Word of God. You do this, it will make you different. And there are things and a relationship that this will build between you and God that you will not have any other way. I used to take this Word of God and it would take it and it would raise my faith as it does this day. And on the basis of that raising of faith, I used to ask God for things and He would give them to me. You know what I used to ask Him for? I prayed all the time that God would bring a great wife into my life. And I'll tell you, after 30 years, she is a terrific, terrific wife. 
I had no idea when I first, when we were, were first getting engaged, I had no idea at that time when we got engaged that she has all the attributes that she has. God has continued to reveal this to me. God has a blessed spouse for you if you will but ask Him. But asking comes also through a relationship. This Word of God will change your life. I met her in the church. I met her at a fellowship meal in the church, in the body of Christ. So much so I was, I was serving in the body of Christ. There are things that God will place in your life that you will not, because Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but only by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That's how you shall live. He has proclaimed it. There is no other way. Look at the second temptation. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple in verse 5. Now verse 6, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels charge concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. So again, comes this command, this, 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 this temptation. But now what does he do? Satan is quoting the Word of God. Satan quotes the Scripture. Satan comes at him and says, this is what's written. Jesus is going to play this game up. This is what's written. This is Satan plays this game too. Well, here it's written. It's written. So, where's he quoting from? He's quoting from Psalm 91. So let's go see what Satan had been reading that day. Psalm 91. Psalm 91, and so, so let's pick it up for, um, in verse 11. Psalm 91, verse 11. For He will give His angels charge concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Isn't it interesting that Satan stopped right there? Let's look at the next verse. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. How convenient for Satan to have stopped where he did. Jesus well knew that scripture. Satan comes and even starts quoting scripture. And Jesus says, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not tempt, you you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You shall not put him to the test. In other words, he said to him, if you are the Son of God, cast yourself down. Again, he puts this into, if you are the Son of God. So Jesus doesn't go and say, yeah, I have to prove that I am the Son of God. No, he comes with something far more profound. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. He said, I know the love of God is for me. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, I know God is with me. Regardless of my throwing myself down or not, I already know. It's a done deal. God is with me. I am secure in Him. I am secure in Him. God's love for us is not dependent on Him doing this little trifle thing that we throw in front of Him and we say, if you love me, then you'll do this. If you love me, you'll give me that girl for a wife. You think that's such a strange request? I mean, many men have made that request. Um, if, they have. You didn't know that, Lindsay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's real common. Lots of guys do that with the Lord. And, but God often has something much better if they'll follow Him. Because we don't know. We don't know what we, what we need like He does. And it's a very common prayer. If you, you know, if you really love me, you'll do such and such. 
Jesus said, no, I don't have to do that. You don't have to, to, to uh, uh, put the Lord my God to the test. I already know He loves me. In, in, in Romans 5.8, it says, God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is what the Scriptures tell us. It says in, in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, will He not freely with Him give us all things? I mean, think about that. He who did not spare His own Son, but freely delivered Him up for us all, will He not with Him freely give us all things? I mean, this is a terrific promise. This is what Jesus says. He says there's no need to have to tempt God in this way. To have to put God to the test. His love for me is already assured. It is a done deal. It's already assured. His love for me. This is the temptation that comes to him is, does God really care for you? Is his care really there for you? He says, oh yeah, I know it's there for me. I know it's there for me because the scriptures are clear on this. And we know his love is there for us. He will freely give us all things that we need. He will give us as he's given us his son. And then comes the third temptation. It says, in verse 8, And the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, All these things I give to you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began ministering to him. So here is the third t- temptation that Matthew records. It says, the devil took him up to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms. And he said, you know, if you'll just fall down and worship me, I'll give you all of these things. And Jesus said, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You shall worship the Lord your God, worship him and serve him only. That is the only way of fulfillment in a life. That is the only thing that you will ever do that will ultimately bring fulfillment. If you think that being married to a particular person or having a particular job or making a certain amount of money is going to fulfill you, you are wrong. The only thing that will bring fulfillment in your life is to worship the Lord your God and to serve Him. That is the only thing that will ultimately bring fulfillment. There are many people who have married the, the person they've wanted to marry, had children and, and done this, and feel totally unfulfilled. I meet many men who make a lot of money, have great careers, and feel totally unfulfilled. You know, it's not uncommon for men to think, well, if I didn't have this wife, if I had that woman as a wife, then I would be fulfilled. It's a very common feeling among men. Very common feeling. So they trash one wife and marry another woman. And you know, misery is not being without something. Misery is getting the thing that we've always lusted after and then realizing that it's brought no fulfillment. That is misery indeed. Jesus said, you are to worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Jesus said in John chapter 4, my food is is to do the will of my Father. That is my food. That is what sustains me. 
That is what fulfills me, is to do the will of my Father. He says, the day is coming, in John chapter 4, when people will worship God in spirit and in truth, that I know that I can walk around campus and worship God. I don't have to be at the, you know, the wailing wall in Jerusalem. Just this past summer, we were in Jerusalem again, and, and we got this tour guide, and we got to the wailing wall, and ben, ben and I were together with this tour guide, and he said, would you like to go to the wall and pray? And I looked at him, and I said, I don't have to go to this wall and pray. It's nothing to me. And pray in my home and just speak to God. I don't have to be here in front of this wailing wall. Those who worship God shall worship Him in spirit and in truth. And, they, then he, and he says, and you shall serve God and serve Him only. That's what he says. In service to God, there is fulfillment. Turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Remember I told you that there were three times that God spoke audibly? The first time was, was there at the baptism of Jesus. The second time was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the third time was here in John chapter 12. And this occurrence happens near the end. And we know it happens near the end because many people had come from far and wide to this Passover feast. And Jesus knew now that his time had come. All these witnesses were there, going to be witnesses to the crucifixion. In John chapter 12, verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among them who were going up to worship at the feast. Then these came to Philip, who, were from, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered, saying to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So you see, all these people are coming into Jerusalem. And Jesus knows, he says, now it's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. He knows the crucifixion is coming. And so look what he says. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then a voice came out of heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So, what does Jesus say? He starts this way. He says, now is time, my time to be glorified. He said, let me tell you something. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it's going to bear much fruit. If you love your life, you're going to lose it. But he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If you love your life, you will lose it. If, if everything in your life is about me, me, my work, I've got to do this, my stuff, my, 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 you will have a miserable, miserable life. And that's how most people live their lives. And he said, a life poured out for me will bring you so much more fulfillment. He who loses his life for my sake shall keep it to life eternal. This is fulfillment. Service of Him. You lose your life for His sake. And then He says, If anyone serves Me, let him follow Me. Where is Jesus going? Jesus is going to the cross. If anyone serves Me, let him follow Me. Where I am, there shall My servant also be. And by the way, if anyone serves Me, the Father will honor Him. Wow! 
Do you want the honor of God in your life, in your family, in your career? You can have it. You can have God, the creator of heaven and earth, coming and interceding in your life, in your career, in your family, in your relationships. He will do that if you serve Him. If you serve Him. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant also be. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. There is honor from God. I am a living testimony of the honor of God. There is no way I should have accomplished what I've accomplished in my life. No way. I was never the smartest. I was never near the smartest. I never could have gotten into rice. I can only teach there. This is the honor of God, I am telling you. This is the honor of God. I am a living testimony of the honor of God. That He drops in creativity and insight far beyond what I should ever accomplish. This is the honor of God. And you know who knows it? You know who sees it? It's those who grew up with me. Sometimes I'll meet them. They're like, how did all this happen? This is the honor of God. I am telling you, you can have the honor of God, the living God, work in your life. That's why it comes through worship of God and service to Him. This service to Him. You do something in the body of Christ. You take up some role of service, teaching kids or cleaning up or doing something where you are dependent on. And you have to do it even when you're busy and you have exams and you do things and you come through and you follow through. You do this and you will be greatly blessed. Because God sees us and says, hey, look at that person serving me. And there's blessing that pours down from heaven upon a life. Plus, there's blessing in heaven. But you get it here as well. The Father will honor him. That's what Jesus said. It must be true. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the truth of it. And I pray, Father, for these young people, that they would stand in the midst of temptation, understanding that it is the word of God that will give them life, that they will live because of the word of God, that you will give them hearts to read the scriptures daily, to meditate on it, to make it part of their lives. Father, that they would learn to walk in faith, that you love them and care for them, in spite of insecurities and, 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 and uh, uh, in, in, in spite of what, what they might feel about themselves or hurtful things that people might say about themselves. Father, I pray that they would be able to walk in faith that you have loved them and died for them. That they be able to take hold of that reality in spite of insecurities. Father, that they would be able to walk in all you have for them. And Father, that they would learn what it is to worship you and to serve you, what it is to walk in Christian service, to give of themselves and then see the honor of God dropped upon their lives. Father, work in their lives, I pray. The blessing of God be there. Bless these young people. Father, especially remember these freshmen. Father, I pray that you cause them to make the right relationships, cause them to walk in what you have for them and see them through, O oh God by the grace and the mercies of God. Bless them richly. And in His name I pray, the name of our Lord Jesus, Abba, bless them. Amen.